Jen, you've got big shoes to fill this week. Yeah. Because Scott, our third member who would right. usually be here, he's in Texas helping his father uh, get prepared to move. He and his brother are moving his dad from Texas up to the Seattle area where they live right. to be kind of closer to the family. So he's not here, which means not just are you a guest this week, you have a job. Yeah. Oh my, you know, I'm just, I love responsibility and all the pressure. So bring That's it on. Good. <laughs> I would say, I mean, really, if we're going to break this down into tropes, it's pretty obvious that I'm the smart one. Sure. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Brad is, Brad is the lovable one, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so then Scott's the funny one, which means, Jen, you've got to be the funny oh, one. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to be the funny one. Oh, no pressure. Really, no pressure at all. Right. Can you do accents? <laughs> British accents evidently are very important. That one I don't do because my mother-in-law is British and I'd get kicked, oh. out, I'd get kicked out of the family. Last week, our listenership went up a lot. Yeah. And I think that we can safely say that it's due to the accents at the beginning of the episode. I think that's probably accurate. I think when I broke out the British, it became appointment podcast time for Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. People were going to start setting their clocks. Our friends from across the pond joined in. I think that's what happened. I really, I think every one of our new listeners was like, oh, there's a British guy on the show now. I, you know, (laughs) I want to go listen to that. Okay. Well, it's only one sentence. So when you drive through the state of Maine, there's like 50 turnstiles uh, and they ask you for a dollar toll. Uh, and so here's my main impression. Another dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know what that was. <laughs> Is this episode 42? It is episode 42. I am so honored. Yeah. Yeah. This this episode, I mean, you know what that, so this is double pressure for you because now you both have to be the funny one and you have to answer uh, the question. The answer to life uh, and everything else. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be, I don't know how you're going to, I don't know how you're going to do it. Either do I, but let let's just watch the the slow car crash happen. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Surviving Creativity, and welcome to all the new people who are joining us. Because I know we got a lot of new listeners last week. Uh, this is a show all about surviving your dreams, surviving your dreams, <laughs> surviving your dreams. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty accurate. <laughs> it's the show all about following your dreams, becoming your own boss, and surviving the process. I'm your co-host. My name is Corey Cassoni. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Brad Geiger. And hey, we are welcoming somebody I'm really excited to talk to from Together Studios, Jen Ellis. Hello. Hello, Jen. Greetings to you both. (laughs) Such an honor to be here. Thank you. Now, Jen, we have a special shared history, you and I. We do. Because we met at PAX South just a couple weeks ago. That's true. Because your hotel room (laughs) reservation was messed up. So at 1130 at night, the day before the show, I got a frantic text message from Jen 
who I've, I'd only really just met in earnest again and said, can me and my other coworker stay in your hotel with you and Tavis? So we spent a fantastic weekend together. Oh my gosh. You said yes. <laughs> I did say yes. I did. Well, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave the together people out in the cold. Oh, I can't do glorious. that. Also, listen, this is a fantastic opportunity for uh, Tavis Maiden to cuddle with me <laughs> because we had to share a bed. So you saw your opening and you went for it. <laughs> they were so darn cute the whole weekend. Uh, yeah, it was like summer camp in there, except, you know, co-ed sleeping arrangements. And wasn't that weird? Didn't you feel like a kid again? Like a kid at summer camp staying up late giggling when you really should be sleeping because you got to get up and work a booth in the morning? I really have not had giggle fits like that in such a long time. It was just. No, it was very fun. It was totally fun. <laughs> well, and this is a good time to uh, put the word out to any surviving creativity listeners. If something happens, you don't have a hotel for the con. Corey uh, is a soft touch. <laughs> Apparently, I am. <laughs> See, I'm just the opposite. I'm very reticent to share a hotel room with anybody, and and if I do, I've got to know them for a little bit of time. You're a very open, trusting person, Corey Casoni. Well, listen, I've been doing cons for nigh on twenty years now. Let's <laughs> not bring that up again. Now. No, but in all seriousness, I've been doing I've been sh- doing shows for about fifteen years. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, <laughs> I've been doing shows for about ten years. I would say, <laughs> I'm young and hip. Keep talking, you'll be new at this. <laughs> I like to refer to myself and my ilk as con hobo. <laughs> so after a while, you'd start to learn the tricks, the ins and outs of conventioneering. You've done them for a while. And mm-hmm. I, I mean that literally. You, like, you start to learn the ins and outs of these convention centers because you've been to them every year. Oh, sure. 10, 12, 15 times you've hit this convention center over and over again. You start to learn the tricks. You start to learn the hotels. You learn you know, where they keep the tables so you don't have to pay $400 for one while nobody's looking. You start to figure things out. What I'm saying. So, yeah. Corey, on the ebook "Becoming a Con Hobo," mm-hmm. I'm envisioning you like riding the big rolling carts that hold all of the chairs. <laughs> okay, like in triumph. Yeah, and the rest of us, kind of like a George Washington crossing the Delaware type thing. So, <laughs> um, if you need an art director for the cover of your book "Becoming a Con Hobo," I'm just raising my hand for it. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> I trust your work. I, I mean, I'm, I'm because of the weekend we spent together I, and I got to really know you and your products. Uh, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable with this. I feel like Together Studios can publish my book. I will echo what Brad says. I, I remember talking to my husband and partner as I was packing to go to Pack South. And I was like, I'm just really glad that we booked a suite so I have my own room and I can just decompress because the thing about being at a con and you're talking all the time, I just want to not talk to anyone for a while. So the idea of sharing a room, I was not like, cool, this will just be fine. I was a little worried about it. And the fact that it turned out to be this wonderful, magical uh, giggling moment was uh, really wonderful. So thank you very much. Those are nice moments. Yeah, it was good. It could have gone real bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys could have sucked, and then Tavis and I would have been stuck with you all weekend. Can you believe those guys on the left-hand side of the room? <laughs> Jen, you should tell everybody a little bit about 
yourself and Together Studios. Now that now that you and I have shared our moment, we should probably <laughs> share a moment with our listeners. That would be nice. Uh, hi, uh, so I'm Jen Ellis. I am the co-owner of Together Studios. We're independent makers of games, tabletop games, uh, and we also produce game-related events. For example, we organize the game library and, and official gaming events on the Joko Cruise and, and other type stuff that we do. So I am the product and people side of our company. If I want to check out Together Studios, it's 2 T-W-O-G-E-T-H-E-R studios.com, it, correct? Yeah, correct. In hindsight, maybe not the best uh, <laughs> <laughs> name for a company, but... And- since our meeting at Pack South, I frankly was enamored with Together and all the stuff that you guys are doing. And I was like, you know, we got to get Jen on this show yeah. to talk about working in board games and to talk about the stuff you're doing. Plus, you're, you're a relatively new company, yep. right? We've had products to sell for a year, but we have been working on them for about two and a half years. I have been full-time with the company for a little over a year. And you picked the topic for us this week. So where are we going? So as somebody who is partners with my husband, husband in life and in a company, I would love to talk about working with your partner. Um, and doing the creative process or starting a business with your partner. Specifically with your life partner. Yes. Why would you do that? <laughs> it sounds, Jen, it sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> uh, well, there's so many disasters all around the country. I, I will give you some facts about this because I'm a nerd. Interesting to note, about 90% of the businesses registered in the United States uh, have five employees or less. Uh, mm-hmm. So, except the majority of people work for big companies. So the number of businesses are are really tiny. Most of those are actually mom and pops. So there's a lot of people out there who have created a company with their partner. I I kind of knew as soon as I met Keith that, you know, we we knew instantly that we really clicked and this is this was our match and that we didn't want kids, but we wanted to make other cool stuff. Um, <laughs> so, so we've really known from the very beginning of our relationship that we wanted to do creative projects together. And uh, really the crux of it is that our partnership really allows us to do things better than we did on our own. You know, it opens up a lot more opportunities. So that's why we do it. But we started talking about what it would look like and how we would frame it probably seven or six years ago. Yeah. So we were really thoughtful actually of like, let's keep on making sure we put a good understanding of this and talk about what we're really doing before we do it. Because businesses fail a lot and then you can start another one, but marriages, you kind of want to like keep them (laughs) intact. (laughs) So uh, we were really thoughtful about things like, um, what is success to us? Uh, What do we really want? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. Tell us about that. Uh, So this was huge because I'd worked for so many companies that their goal was to go IPO or to uh, get bought out or just really scale up operations. And I was a big part of making things bigger and then watching them go away. And you kind of realize that's really about ego Mm -hmm. and not necessarily about creating things or really in the spirit of what you want to do. That doesn't mean we don't want to sell things and make money. But what we decided our goal was is is to make things and design games specifically how we wanted to, to do it. So the thought on design, thought on materials that 
may not be accessible to a larger companies. Um, so for example, if I'm selling to Barnes & Noble or Target a board game, they're going to want very specific price points first, really specific you know, footprints and of what that looks like on a shelf. Whereas we want to start with the idea of the experience we're creating first, uh, let the materials support that and the game experience and put that out there, even if 200 people want that, not necessarily pushing it to be, you know, we're going to scale up to a big company. You see now, Brad, why I get along with her so well? <laughs> yes, it's, it's like listening to a another version of Corey talk. <laughs> I just love the idea. And it's because of new media and technology that we can do yes. this. I love the idea that as a company, you can now go, fuck the big box stores. Like, yes. let's just do something cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what we, we constantly say to ourselves is we just have to make the best version of the thing that we're doing that we can, and then find that audience because we can, and we can do that as a 2.5, you know, person company. Um, you know, we have partnerships with a fulfillment company. So we have warehouses all over the world that do our fulfillment for us. You know, it, it's super simple. And when I say super simple, I'm just meaning compared to the 1980s or 90s. So it's hard work. But, you know, we can find that audience, but we have to be really careful about making sure that everything is consistent so that it's something. So, for example, we have a board game called Illimat. Uh, we wanted to make it feel like it was something old. And it was really easier and cheaper for us to make a board that was made out of neoprene rather than cloth. And I was just like absolutely adamant that that wouldn't happen. A neoprene is not a hundred year old feel uh, to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so things like that, which that cheaper option, if you worked for a larger company, you would have to make that choice because you have a lot more people that you have to pay their salaries for. And you have, you know, you get put into a corner so that you have to make those uh, choices. So keeping things small is actually something that's important to us uh, as long as we're not burning ourselves out. So now the obvious question here is what happens when there's a disagreement at work? How do you keep that from bleeding into your uh, relationship? He's fired. He's totally fired. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a much easier uh, answer than go. I ever thought I was going to get. <laughs> Simple solution. <laughs> Well, I, I love that this podcast is about surviving creativity because each of us, you know, one of the things I that is kind of a pet peeve of, of mine is that people say, oh, Keith is the creative one and, and you're the business person. <laughs> and what's happening for us uh, is that we're both trying to make things that are important to us. And so we're both in a creative process, whether we're using materials or a process to do that, or we're designing the game mechanics. So... I, I try with all of my heart to say if there's a disagreement between us is really ask the questions of what are you trying to achieve as a game designer? So, so that's a primary thing. Secondary, one of the first things that we did kind of in the phase of talking about how do we set this up in a way that is going to be supportive of our relationship and achieve our goals is that we really defined who is the subject matter expert in certain areas. So Keith is the subject matter expert uh, when it comes to game design and kind of the gamer experience. If, if I have something that I disagree with him on, 
in regards to those areas. I'm going to put as much evidence out there. And then he's got to come back as the expert to kind of rebut that. But it can't be no, because this is how I want it. Uh, It just doesn't work. And that just doesn't work in our relationship either. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's just good general relationship advice. Yeah, it's true. It's just kind of coming down to here's what I think. Uh, Now, there are times where you know, you get tired. Uh, we work really long hours and you have to have a lot of humor with one another and just be like, could we just do it this way, please? And I will tell you it's at some other point. And you have to trust each other to say yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's fine. What about when you're in those situations and somebody says, can you just trust me on this? Can we just do it this way? And, and maybe it doesn't go well. How do you avoid that moment where you would normally at any other company be like, well, Tom, you, you really screwed the pooch on this one. <laughs> Yeah, the blame game of Together Studios, there's not too many directions you can play. Uh, (laughs) I would say first, when you put out your first game, uh, we put out uh, an RPG called Phoenix Dawn Command. There's a certain amount of people. Keith is a a well-known game designer. He did Eberron and Gloom. But for the most part, it's not like a lot of people were waiting for us to look at what it was. So there's the anxiety level of will it fail was lower than it is now. Whereas something like Illimat is something that we worked with a well-known band, the Decemberists and Carson Ellis, who's an amazing illustrator. And we had to kind of stick our necks out on a couple of things. And yet we're a really young company. And so I wound up starting to say things like, I I need to tell you something as your wife, (laughs) Uh, which is, I'm really nervous about this. I know that I'm this is the direction we should go, but I'm worried about failure. And we have to support each other every once in a while and say, I'm there for you. Like clearly make statements. We're saying I'm talking to you like your wife or your husband, because there's that point in the creative process where you're just scared as shit. And that's the part where it's a benefit to work with someone that you're really close to because you can share that I'm really scared, even though I know that this is the right thing and I'm really scared about failure and they can really support you in that. Well, yeah, you've got to have uh, faith in that other person because at the end of the day, as a couple working together, if this thing doesn't work, if this thing fails, crashes and burns, it affects both of your income. Like, for example, if I do a Kickstarter next month and it doesn't work so well, well, my wife has a different job and it's not going to send the family into a tailspin. Right. Well, you guys both have cast your lots together. So uh, that, I would imagine, takes a lot of faith in one another. Uh, heck yeah. I mean, uh, faith, <laughs> faith with a little insurance, I will say, for Many years, I did the business end of Together Studios while I worked full-time for a tech company, which was very hard, but it was totally worth it. And then Keith still designs games for other companies. Uh, so sometimes there's opportunities that come across um, his path that to design a game. It might be for a property that we know is going to want to have a very big presence, a very big distribution, and there's going to be a a lot of energy in supporting that title, then we will reach out to other uh, manufacturing and game companies and say, would you like to, to make this with Keith rather than make it with Together Studios? And that allows actually Keith to have an income from those games. So there's some income that's aside from us as Together Studios. Right. That's just a really good example of don't quit your day job. Yeah. It seems like every guest we have says this. Me and Brad and Scott say this repeatedly. You know, you'll know when it's time 
that your avocation is becoming yeah. your vocation. Like you'll know yeah. when that switch happens because it, it will just be too much. And even then, you know, even working full time for Scott, I'll still take on yep. side projects sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just happens that way when you're and, a freelancer. And furthermore, with working in, in a partnership with your life partner, working a full-time job for me for a long time allowed me to make sure that I had a place where I felt like I had autonomy and that I had uh, success on my own and that it was not something where I was going to jump into my husband's profession and help him out. When someone sees a couple and they see, you know, they're in business and there's the wife. Uh, it's like, oh, that's great that you're helping him. And I will say for the first <laughs> I will say for the first couple of years, I completely had just an inner boil over of that. <laughs> well, yeah, how could you not, right? You know, it was good for a couple a couple of years to really develop a feeling of I'm independent and I'm a part of this uh, industry, not just as someone's assistant, but on my own. In fact, another thing about PAX South is that was the first game convention I ever did or or went to uh, that Keith wasn't there with me. Really? Yeah. And I I have a really great collection of friends. We have our own little Slack group. And I just went in there and said, hey, everybody, uh, I'm doing this convention by myself. Uh, And it's been, you know, six or seven years, but I've always gone with Keith. And I'm going to be hitting a lot of, you know, feeling like, I don't really belong here. I, I'm just going to need your support. And they were just really great with the props. And it was really fun. Our, our friend, Jesse, who works for us every once in a while, came with. And it was just hilarious and fun. And at the end of the week, I was like, maybe Keith could just stay home more often. <laughs> 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 Keith's like, him? That's the thing about a, a partnership like that. It's As you know, there's time selling and time creating. And sometimes time selling eats into that creativity time. And so the idea of maybe we can every once in a while, you can stay home and work on our next project is actually a really great thing. Uh, And Keith is like, sweet. I don't, That makes me feel even more bad for you than originally knowing that you were coming into this town for the first time, your first show on your own, and then you show up to the hotel and they don't have your room. (laughs) I I felt bad for you to begin with, but that must have been crushing. Now listen, hold on. She got to hang out with me all weekend long, and I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Speaking of of reasons to feel bad for you, Jen. I used to work jobs where I would travel like 80% of the time. And I was traveling that day. I didn't get any like, hey, it's time to check in to your embassy suites. And uh, I was like, yeah, that's probably something's gone on there. And then after I set up the thing, we drove to um, Austin for an event and then driving back. And I was like, you know what? Maybe, Jesse, can you just call that hotel? I bet you we're going to arrive and they don't have our confirmation. And she's like, yeah, they don't have it. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I want to bring it back to this question. Corey said a a little bit, you'll know when it's time to quit your day job and, and so forth. You know, don't. Don't rush into that. What was what what was it for you that you knew you were ready? So a follow up question to that question. When did you know that you were ready to quit your day job? And to do this full time with your life partner. Ooh. Okay. So 
two summers ago, my father was very ill and I decided to take family medical leave to take care of him. So it was actually a really wonderful time to spend with my parents as an adult and also to spend time not working for somebody else because I love to work and I've always been a passionate employee who is just really driven. You know, I, I grew up in a house where my dad worked for the same company for 40 years and retired without ever taking a sick day type stuff. And it was a really wonderful moment to say there's something more important than my regular paycheck, but this is going to be temporary because I'm going to come back. And then as I was coming back, uh, the company said, oh, by the way, you know how we used to have a 32-hour work week? Well, now it's going to be a mandatory 40. And we're in the middle of laying off people. <laughs> I, I'm not a person who ever worked 32 hours a week. I always worked more. And I knew that 40 was going to be even more than that. <laughs> yeah, 40 was going to turn into yeah. 50. Exactly. I've never heard of a 32-hour company that only works yeah. 32. They're always they're saying 32 so that they can get away with working you 50. And when they go to 40, you're working 60 to 80 and it gets bad. So I just said, you know, how about you just put me on that list to get laid off? Because <laughs> I don't think I can commit to the 40-hour work week. And it was just really easy because it was I was in this place where I was making decisions that were consistent to where my life was and what I had to do rather than just the money I was making. All that said, yes, I'm a huge thrifty saver and we lift off, lived off to of that for a very long time. So there's both here's where you're at but then also here's where you're at in the other place. I think that it was still, and to, to follow up on what you were saying, Corey, I think it was still, you know, when I came back, I kind of came with all the energy of, uh, I have a staff of people I'm going to bark uh, my orders at. <laughs> I guess now I'm full time. Uh, so there was still <laughs> there was still an adjustment when Keith's like, uh, no, I got other stuff to do, Jen. You're just going to have to do all that. So I, there was still an adjustment going into it, but it's, just a constant conversation and a constant check-in. It sounds more and more like the key here is getting laid off. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, hey, it worked for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm telling you, it, it really, I, I, I don't think I would have done it if it, that wasn't a choice. It just mm -hmm. gave just that um, amount of time and a, a little bit of cushion for me to feel okay about it. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying there. And, and it also made it okay to make a choice. I, and I'm speaking for me, not for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had a very similar situation and it made it okay to make what, what was essentially a selfish choice. Yeah. My going to being a full-time cartoonist was a goal that I had been working towards for 12 years at that point, like an overriding goal. Right. And at the end of the day, that was going to be a result in satisfaction that I had been dreaming of since I was a kid. And I could not pull that trigger myself. Yeah. It took getting the layoff notice and it was, you know, either either take the buyout or we're laying you off uh, to, to make that decision for me. Yep. Yep. And because at the end of the day, it was a, a selfish decision. Yeah. Was that a similar situation for you, Jen? Was it like, you had kind of always wanted to work with your husband on stuff and to do this thing yourself, but you just, you were never felt like you were in a secure place to pull that trigger? I wouldn't say financially secure. I would say it was really all of my internal stuff, my feelings about, can I do this on my own and own my own business? And I think the, you know, making money for other people uh, and making mistakes on other people's dimes is easier. But what happened in that last 
the, that last job that I, I had was I started a division in the company. And within a year, it had doubled the value of the company based on the revenue I had generated. And the person who I worked for, someone who really, I didn't feel uh, understood what I was doing at all and or why. So I was, I had a lot of autonomy to drive something new and it was successful. And I just was like, I can do this. I, I can. You can just do it yourself. Exactly. And it wasn't, you know, because everyone's dumb and uh, except me, it's because I think I just needed that, that space to be like, this has nothing to do with what anyone brought to the table. It's just, you have to, I had to have that confidence to know that I really do know what I'm doing for the most part. And I also know what I don't know. You know, anybody who is out there on their own or has a business knows that every day is really all about making mistakes and doing stuff you have no idea how to do and failing and just keep on going. Uh, mm-hmm. And I could do that without really punishing myself or making myself feel like I was stupid. Learning from your failures. Yeah. It's another big repeating theme that we seem to come into is this, just take the knocks yep. and figure it out. Yep. Back to the topic with that. How do you learn from and adjust from a failing on personal to business level? Clearly, communication seems to be key to this thing that you're doing where you're working directly with your life partner. But how do you fail at that and then get back on your feet? <laughs> where, where did the mechanic come from where you went, you know, I'm speaking as your wife now, not as your business partner. And here's what I'm feeling like it. That sounds to me very much like a game mechanic is like, here's how we figured out how to do this. Was there a time before or you didn't have that and there was just an outburst and it was a fuck up and you went, okay, we need, a, we need a way to do this. We need a way to handle this. Oh, yeah. I think this is just, you know, partner communication stuff. I remember sometimes I would say, I would say something about like, oh, I just, I'm not sure if this is going to be okay. And then Keith's response was, we did this, this, this operationally and be like, no, 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 I I didn't say the feeling words. Let me go back. That wasn't a feeling. I'm, I'm not asking if this is going to sell anything. I'm just saying. And so you're right. I, we are people who gamify our, our life all the time. And so even in communication and even like creating stupid words for things that make something anxiety producing feel like silly uh, to relieve stress. I mean, it's something that we do. And it's something I really love about Keith. Uh, and I love about our life together is that, you know, all this stuff is going to happen. Let's just make it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so now talk to me about balance. Specifically, how do you draw the line between working and living? It, it would, seems like the temptation would be there to either uh, go overboard on one side or the other. Yeah. I would love to say we're balanced. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I love what the fact that you're too thin. Because there's a lot of people that pretend out yeah, there. And you're, you're home office, right, Jen? Yeah. So it's double hard because you're both home office and working together. Yeah. It could work, could go on indefinitely. Yeah, it's always there. Yeah. And, you know, we really try to work from our basement office, but it's winter in Portland and it's raining. And so you get more sunlight upstairs and then your living room starts looking like a shipping depot. But we just try. And that's the great thing about kind of working for ourselves is that we can, in a moment, say, you were just gone at a convention all weekend and I was just on my computer. So it's Monday. Let's just say up until noon at least or one o'clock, let's just like go for a walk, you know, or do something and just 
in the moment, realize when you need a little break. I, I was on a panel for PAX Unplugged about balance, and it was so awesome. I was just like, yeah, this is what I do. And <laughs> I was, yeah, this is, so this is how I, you know, set boundaries. And literally the next day, I did something, the execution of it just fell apart. And it just was like, kind of a disaster. Mm. I just remembered like, oh my God, I will never say that I have it together ever again. <laughs> Speaking of which, and since you okay. are clearly open with talking about the good and the bad, what was the biggest failure that you guys had to grapple with? And how did you learn from it and come back from it and and build from it. I would say that for our Illimat Kickstarter, I really, really wanted to make custom laminated ID cards and it just took too long. <laughs> so uh, we still did it. We still sent it out, but it was just one of those things that just took forever. Never again. Handmade stuff with Kickstarters is a, is a no-no. That's an avoid at all costs. I need to be honest with myself. It's because I really just wanted a laminator machine and I really wanted to make little ID cards. <laughs> um, well, you got what you wanted, exactly Jen. There you go. Congratulations. And Corey and Brad, if, if you want to be part of the Society of Luminaries, I, I, I would print you up a custom ID card. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's laminated. That's the thing. Uh, I, I'm telling you that the more I do this, uh, the more I talk to creative people, the more I find that you can learn so much listening to somebody talking about their failure yeah. than you can yeah. about hearing about their greatest success. I, I totally agree. And I, I'm very forward about the things that I don't do well or that I made a mistake on or failed on uh, because there's just too much you know, here's my success path. Here is how you mm -hmm. do it. Here's how to, here's yeah. the silver bullet. And it just makes, it just, it's not real. I mean, if life was like that, we wouldn't need each other. And it sets up a false expectation of you as a creative person, what it's supposed to feel like and what you're going to need in order to do it. Maybe this is a redundant question, but like, how do you address a failure of Keith's or Keith address a failure of yours without crossing the streams of business and personal? Mm, I think that we have to cross streams in that respect in order to really get the benefit that we're looking for. So if I am going to go past a failure in, in order to make it into something that is positive, I need my partner to help me process that. And I need for it to feel like a safe space, for lack of a better word, in order to share that. And so I think we do cross the streams on purpose because it's helpful for us. But what we don't do is ridicule or blame. Mm -hmm. We just make it something of, oh, that sucks. Oh, that feels so terrible. How would you want to do it differently? Help each other process that, but not to be like, I can't believe you did that. It's like, <laughs> well, <laughs> no like, one's perfect. Like, I can't either. Thanks. <laughs> 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 get rid of ridicule and blame. I love that. Yeah. Like get rid of yeah. ridicule and blame. But I think the only way to do that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, you gotta own up to yeah. the to the failure. And I yeah. and I see and I saw that a lot when I was like you working at a big company. Nobody wanted to take the blame on anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm 
I'm just a natural, like, oh, yeah, I think this is how we could have done it better. And instead of it being an opportunity to learn, it would be like, yeah, you're right. You did screw that up. And so I'm taking over, right. <laughs> you know, and, and so actually working for a very large company, I, I worked for GE. And uh, when my small tech company got bought out by them, I was like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm working for GE. And they have institutionalized the uh, neutral ways to learn from mistakes. Did you take uh, a lot away from that and bring it with you to your oh, small business? Oh my God, all the time. And in any business that I've ever worked for, uh, you know, they have something called the five whys, which is you're, you're trying to solve a problem. And instead of being like, well, here's what we can do. You just keep on asking why questions so that you can get to the heart of why something is happening so that a solution can be something that is actually good to implement. And uh, the postmortems are not an emotional thing of pointing blame. You know, I've worked with engineers and, and in the tech industry. And so problem solving without interpersonal passion stuff is something I'm much more comfortable with and kind of doing it in an analytical way rather than in a you know, a blamey sort of way. Uh, in fact, I, I had no fucks to give uh, after 40 when I would be in a room and someone would just start blaming. I would literally get up and, and walk out. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's like, so great. I want to be in that room. I want to be in that room when Jen Ellis is, just doesn't say a word and just fucking stands up and walks away. And there's this dude, this fucking tech bro exactly- with his coconut water sitting on the other side of the table like, she can't leave. I'm not done blaming her yet. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, uh, you know, come back when you're ready to have a conversation. So now let's say in a hypothetical situation, uh, well, let me preface it this way. I don't think that this would be an arrangement that would work for every spouse situation. Oh, God, no. I think you've got to be a special life partner to pull this off. Scott and Angie is a great example. I think they've been doing this fantastically uh, for a long time, me and my wife, and she listens to the podcast, and I say this without a shed of, of fear that she would disagree. We would not be good at this. Uh, <laughs> she, she has no interest in, in becoming part of uh, Evil Incorporated. But if you were mentoring in, in a hypothetical situation, Jen, mm-hmm. you were, you're mentoring and you're looking at three different couples and you are trying to decide which one of them has what it takes, what would be the number one thing on your list to look for? I think the first thing I would look for is, uh, what do I know about each couple of what type of relationship they want to have? And I think the couple that says, we want to be best friends and uh, and we know that each other is going to help us do our best and I could spend a whole bunch of time with them and not ever get sick of them. That's the couple that can do that. There are businesses, though, of couples that are, I have a thing they they do, I don't care what he does, and they have a great time. And and their business is successful because of the boundaries that they set with one another. Mm -hmm. I think the relationship that Keith and I have and our partnership is successful because of what we like to share together. So either one of those situations I think would be most successful. Do you feel some degree of of training is is in there, some degree of learned experience? So for example, my wife and I are both freelancers. She's a writer and a costume designer and you know, I do this freelance business stuff, but we both went to school 
uh, and met getting theater degrees. And there was this very implicit, like you're working together on a show or on a, or writing something or producing something. And you have to be able to walk into a production meeting and just tear something to shreds on a very subjective level, which can sometimes make it worse because it's your opinion. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be able to walk out of that room and maybe go on a date or just be okay with the fact that that happened. And I feel like because of our years of training and experience doing that, for us, it's very easy to kind of switch. Yeah. So when, when my wife is writing a book and she maybe wants me to give it a first read or something, often I'm fortunate to get to read her first few drafts of something. There's no holding back. Like right. when she gets notes from me, I know people that would get one of my notes and just be crushed. Right. She just glosses right over it like it's no big deal. And, you know, and she takes what she wants and she, she throws out what she doesn't. But she's also not going to fire back at me like, well, fuck you. This note is ridiculous and you're an asshole. It's very <laughs> yeah. I hope you enjoy the couch, Cassoni. <laughs> yeah, but, but exactly. It just sounds like, like good, healthy boundaries to me. And well, and it's but I mean, it's learned. I don't yes. think we always used to be that oh, no. way. I'd have to think back, but I think it's a learned thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I certainly dated a lot of people before I got married to Keith and those were not good experiences. I'm <laughs> 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 uh, not going into business with any of those guys, right? Uh, no. No. Um, and it, it's a, I don't think I could have done this at any age in my twenties or thirties. I had a lot to learn. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think we could have done it if it wasn't for something that we knew that we didn't want kids. Cause it takes a lot of energy and, uh, and time, uh, to have the relationship and the business that we have. And that's just not for everybody. Um, so I think all of those things, I think having healthy boundaries and separating things out, kind of knowing your intrinsic worth as a human being and that you're loved, aside from the thing that you just made, is really important for individuals or, or couples uh, because there's no way that it can get better without feedback from others. Do you have decompressed time after work? You know, you're done working, you come up from the basement, you sit down on the couch and you have that, so how was work today? <laughs> moment you do that uh yeah i mean you'd be surprised how two people who live at the same house can be in their own little worlds for an entire day yeah absolutely you know what are you working on one of the things that if you know keith baker he designs worlds for a living so he can be in that zone very deeply uh so i've certainly come up with like a little list of questions that try to you know find out what uh, what world he was in, literally what world his brain was in <laughs> uh, in any sort of day. I, I will say, uh, yes, we argue and fight and um, uh, and we just keep on learning. I feel like fighting is key because yeah. my wife and I fight as well. Sure. I avoid the word fight. I feel like the word argument or disagreement is better. Yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to soften it, but having a disagreement about something doesn't mean you're not going to come to some sort of consensus afterward. You know, whether it be agree to disagree or it like, look, here's the compromise on this situation, both personally and professionally. Again, with my wife and her writing, like we've fought yeah. about things and it's her book. She can do whatever she wants with it. <laughs> but if she asks my advice and I believe something, I'm going to go to bat for it. Right. And I think that part of it is she views it as like, I'm, I'm not challenging her. I'm challenging the work so that she can then either grow around that or tell me to fuck off and do whatever she wants. And, that, and that's fine I, too. I definitely think that Keith is probably better at that. I mean, he's just, Keith just has like a really 
great attitude about that and always looks for an opportunity to educate people. And he does that for me too. You know, I'm a very strong-willed, passionate person, and he (laughs) really kind of knows when to use a a gentle word and such. So I I think it, it helps. I'm don't think I would do well in the Corey world of. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a learn. It's a skill. It's a learned skill. Uh, sure. Uh... <laughs> you should hear what Shane has to say about me. <laughs> That's a good point, Corey. What are we going to do? It's a two way street. <laughs> I, but isn't that great, though? I mean, I think it's whatever flavor and color of your relationship is. I mean, you just kind of figure it out as you go and try to keep on knowing that we're just humans trying to make our way in the world and yeah. trying to make something good and leave it with other people. And there's somebody there that can help you with that. Well, now we get to the part that I dread every week. <laughs> I wonder if we could do a thing where guests get to pick what torture they want for it to end the show. I'm all about would you rather, but. I mean, because your only other option is a horrible game show experience. <laughs> I mean, they're both they're both bad right now. We're coming up with some other closers, but the, right now it's would you rather and Brad Geiger's million dollar question. Oh. Uh, would you rather? I'm all about. All right. <laughs> Jen chose our punishment, and it's would you rather. So lay it on us. All right. I've got some real good ones this time. This is your fault, Jen Ellis. Okay. Let's make it very clear that this is all Jen Ellis's fault. <laughs> she chose it. <laughs> We're you blaming chose it all on Jen. Okay. Would you rather be alone for the rest of your life or always be surrounded by annoying people? Oh, I'd rather be alone for the rest of my life. I hmm. love spending time by myself. Yeah. Define annoying people. Are we talking alone, like in a cave? I'm a hermit. Yeah, like yeah. You 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 don't see another person for the rest of your life. It sounds wonderful. I, <laughs> Jen, you and I are come from the same cloth. I looked at that and I know I know which way I'm going. No, you got to be around annoying people. Why? Because you can. Because you can fix them. <laughs> oh, Corey. <laughs> Next I'm question. Sensing, I'm sensing a theme here, Corey. <laughs> Let me get try to fix them and they don't take your advice. That's fine too. Yeah. Corey, Corey, what Tumblr accounts are you active on? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> Let me see here. Oh, okay. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Would you rather have a horrible short-term memory or a horrible long-term memory? Can you repeat that question? Would you rather have a horrible short-term <laughs> memory? No, it's a joke. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this week on Surviving Creativity. My name is Corey Cassoni. As always, I'm joined this week by... Brad Geiger and our special guest, Jen Ellis from Together Studios. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity. You can go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. It doesn't cost you a thing, but it helps us immeasurably. Hey, Jen, will you do me a favor? Yeah. Will you do the final closer? Sure. Do you want me to do it in a Long Island accent? Yeah. So we'll totally see you next week on <laughs> Surviving Creativity. <laughs> bravo. 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 <laughs>